Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Here we go again. A big thanks to Joel and Fletch. By the way, Ra from Sylvania, you're the winner of the Brecky Show's tickets to the BBL final tonight. The Sydney Sixers versus the Brisbane Heat. And we've got a double pass as well to give away over the next three hours. So be part of the show. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number. Keep on listening and I will give you a question to answer. And I want your thoughts around a couple of issues and the best of the callers today. You've got a call to be in with a chance to win. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. The best of the callers We'll get a double pass to tonight's matchup, the semi-final. So the last crack before heading over to Perth on Saturday and taking on the final itself. And the forecast for Sydney, it's going to be sunny and hot. So 30 degrees for the city, 34 in our west. No sign on the forecast of anything later on today, which has been happening over the course of this week, anything weather-wise, that is. So let's hope that we get through an entire matchup tonight and the rain stays away and there's no dramas. That'll be the best outcome. More BBL news in just a sec. NRL news, let's start there. 28 days. So we're taking over the pages and clicking them over of the calendar. We're down to 28 until the start, uh, the start of the 2023 Premiership season. As we know, Lockie Miller is now at the Newcastle Knights. So he's left the Cronulla Sharks and he's up there in Newcastle. It is a three-year deal signed till the end of 2025 Well, I'm pleased to say that this morning in about 25 minutes time, Lockie Miller will be my special guest on the program. What a story he's had from Australian Sevens to the NRL to the Sharks under Craig Fitzgibbon and now a swap deal up there in Newcastle and a little bit of drama that was sort of left behind him with Dykes, of course, which we touched on yesterday. But it's a new part of the Lockie Miller story, this one, and looking forward to to that chat. Meanwhile, Liam Martin out there at the Panthers has re-signed on a one-year deal. So he debuted at the Panthers back in 2019. He's 25 years of age. He's edging towards 100 NRL games. He's represented New South Wales. He played in the World Cup final for the Kangaroos. So five matches for Australia. And they've done a short-term deal here, just the one-year deal, which had a lot of people thinking, well, hang on a second, why? He's clearly a future part of the club. He's an absolute star of the game and the club itself. Why just the one deal? Well, here's a line that caught my eye this morning, and it came from Panthers CEO Matt Cameron. We look forward to continuing discussions with Liam's management about future seasons now that the salary cap position has been ratified by the NRL as part of the ongoing CBA negotiations. I went, whoa, hang on a second. Did I wake up a bit late this morning? They've signed off on the salary cap. I thought that they were on the at the table still. And I read here that they did this deal and are hopeful of doing further years now that the salary cap position has been ratified by the NRL as part of the ongoing CBA negotiations. That's the quote from Matt Cameron, the CEO of the Penrith Panthers. That's how he's being quoted. So let's take that as a given. So I reached out 
this morning to the Rugby League Players Association and just double-check that. Has the salary cap been signed off? You know, the answer is no. It hasn't because it's one part of the CBA negotiations. Clint Newton sent me a text this morning saying we haven't agreed to the salary cap because it's only one part of the CBA. But he also pointed out, and this is critical, he pointed out it's not because the players want it higher, it's just not been agreed to. So take that as you will. Does that mean that it's ratified? Does that mean that it's the Panthers are saying or club bosses are saying that it's been signed off and therefore we can look towards doing further deals? But, I mean, the bottom line here is it hasn't been signed off. It has not been signed off. And that text exchange was just moments before I came on air this morning. So guaranteed, folks, it hasn't been signed off in the last 20 minutes. So we're doing deals here without really a salary cap position being ticked off. Perhaps it's not going to go anywhere. We know the figure's been put out of 12 point, uh, 12.1, I think it is, or 12 and a bit. I mean, it's hard to see that going back throughout these negotiations, but a little bit of clarification is uh, is always good. So that's the situation there. Do you find it a little bit weird? Because I do. I, I understand that that clubs need to do deals and I understand that players want deals. And we've we've shown before um, the Marty Tapao case, for instance, there are short-term deals to be done under the limbo salary cap that we're in. And when it comes to Lockie Miller, for instance, it's a clear swap. There's a player swap deal going on there, so it takes away all that. But at the moment, there are still deals being done under the guise of the salary cap appears to have been ratified when it hasn't been officially signed off. What a mess. What a mess. The Daily Telly coaches survey, so part two of it this morning, the two questions and answers that popped up for me uh, are probably the ones I reckon that popped up for you. Should the game have a window at the end of the season for internationals? Coaches say yes on the whole 96%. You betcha. No brainer. NRL, we know they want to do that. I reckon that's not too far away. Should all commentary and criticism related to the performance of a referee by coaches be banned? Should they continue just not... You cannot say anything about the referee's performance when you're a coach. Well, essentially three quarters of coaches said no. 67% no. Of course it shouldn't. Of course it shouldn't. The integrity of the referees, no, don't question that. And if you cross the line in the heat of the moment, then pull them back. Find them, do whatever you got to do. Smack them down. Just say that that isn't part of it because would a referee question your integrity as a coach? No. And if he did or she did, should you be pulled back? Yeah. But should that be a blanket ban on saying anything about the performance of a referees and worrying about 25 grand here and 10 grand there? No, 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 no. Let me know your thoughts around that one. We don't want open slather. There, do, there does need to be a few controls, I guess, and protocols around it. But I think our coaches are big enough and smart enough and more experienced enough to not have shackles put on them when they go to a press conference. You talk about giving us insights and getting reach of the game and having the old Netflix documentary drive to survive effect. Every sport wants it. Well, guess what? Open it up a little bit and let our coaches say what they think. They know when they're going to cross the line. So let our coaches say what they need to say, especially in those post-match press conferences. You know why? Because it's good for us. That's why. (laughs) Let's face it. You want to see a coach 
blow his top. There's no doubt about that. Now, a couple of uh, BBL stories around and cricket stories. Steve O'Keefe, Socky's going again, folks. He's re-signed for another season with the Sixers. So next season will be his and the game's 13th of the Big Bash League. 93 games, 90 wickets, 397 runs with a high score of 58. They're the facts and figures. But everybody will be looking at Socky's age. He's now 38. He'll turn 39 in December. Dan Christian is retiring this season. So whether it's tonight or Saturday night, Dan Christian's calling it quits. And he's at the age of 39 now. So one of the great things about the BBL is that it's allowed players to continue and earn a wage. And it's allowed players like Steve O'Keefe, who obviously does a lot of stuff here and we love him, but so do the crowds, so do the fans. It allows him to continue on in this space for another year. If the BBL and T20 hadn't have been around and possibly the stress on his body, I mean, he's a spinner, so he's not going to do all that damage that other uh, athletes will do, but there's Socky going again, so congratulations to him. Meanwhile, Usman Kawaja, hang on a sec, we missed that. We were focused on the bags of coffee in Manus's kit getting over to India. We forgot about the fact that Usman Kawaja couldn't go. A visa issue. He saw the lighter side of it on social media, um, but it appears, of course, that because he was born in Pakistan, there was an issue with his visa to fly to India. A lot of people are saying, well, hang on a second, wouldn't they be on top of that? Um, I think from what I read this morning, the all the paperwork was put in through Cricket Australia throughout the Sydney test, and you never know where it's going to end up. So everybody got the tick, but Usman Khawaja hasn't. But he will now, today, travel from Melbourne over to India with some of the other support staff that haven't gone. The rest of the team flew out on Tuesday after the Cricket Awards on Monday night. So thankfully, Usman Khawaja, it appears as though that's all been sorted and off he goes over to India. But just um, an unfortunate consequence of what happens sometimes when you put a visa application in. And in Usman Khawaja's case, it obviously goes back to his place of birth. The NFL. So Tom Brady has done it again. The reverse sock. That's what he's done. He's announced his retirement and this time it's for good. Good morning, guys. I'll get to the point. Right away, I'm retiring for good. I know the process uh, was a pretty big deal last time, so when I woke up this morning, I figured I'd just press record and let you guys know first. So I uh, won't be long-winded. You only get one super emotional retirement essay, and I used mine up last year. So uh, really thank you guys so much to every single one of you for supporting me, my family, my friends, my teammates, my competitors. Uh, I could go on forever, there's too many. Um, thank you guys for allowing me to live my absolute dream. I wouldn't change a thing. Love you all. Maybe in 40 days I might. Just a little disclaimer. <laughs> because do you know what? His retirement announcement last year came on the 1st of Feb. So it's the 1st of Feb over there. The day, it was 12 months to the day that he last announced his retirement. He's announced this one. It was 40 days after he announced his retirement last year that he came back. So March 13, uh, I believe, was the date that he said, yes, I'm coming back. So there's a lot of fans out there who would have seen that and go, yep, he's done it this time. But there will also be a lot of fans who will be going, okay, look, what happens on March 13? <laughs> Let's just double check that one. But, I mean, the numbers are sensational.
Seven Super Bowls, six with the Patriots, and one, of course, with the Bucks. Four Super Bowl MVPs. Three regular season MVPs. Most career touchdowns, 649. He has the most passing yards. So 89,214 is the final figure. I mean, the numbers are astronomical. And obviously, when you get to the age and the stage that he has, um, you're going to sort of rack up those numbers as well. So he's retired for good. Do you believe him? Are you prepared to back him in for actually going through with this one? And let's not forget there's a roughly $500 million our money TV deal that he signed for the next 10 years. Oh, boy. It's 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 just next-level stuff. It's stratosphere stuff. All right. Now, let's dig into this issue first up this morning. Novak Djokovic, the dodgy hamstring, the dodgy hamstring. It appears as though it was worse than what was speculated throughout the two weeks of the Australian Open. And Craig Tiley has set this one alight. We know, of course, the Australian Open boss on SEN Sports Day with Jared Healy and Kane Corns. This is what Craig Tiley outlined. At the end of the day, I don't think anyone can question his athleticism. This guy, I did see, he had a three-centimeter tear in his hammy. He had a tear last year in his stomach. And, and all those... So are you, say, are you saying there was a... There was a tear in, in the hammy. You absolutely. saw the scan. Yep, absolutely. And the doctors are not going to tell you. They're going to tell you the truth. And and uh, and so he, you know, I think there was a lot of speculation of whether it was true or not. And it's hard to believe that someone can do what they do with those types of injuries. But but I, you know, he's remarkable. He's, he's he and to deal with extremely professional. He's so focused on everything that he does, every single minute of the day, what he eats. How he, what he drinks, when he does it, how he does it. Um, there's no breakdown, no mental breakdown ever in anything that he does. And he's been through a, a lot. And, uh, and to win 10 Australian Opens, uh, I don't think that's ever going to be repeated. So there's a lot in there that we can say, yeah, it's an absolute given that uh, Craig Tiley's talking about. The 10 will probably never be repeated. The guy is amazing. He's at the next level. But the key there is the three-centimetre hamstring tear. Now, I've done a hamstring. I don't know whether it was one centimetre, two or three, but it bloody hurt and I could hardly walk. Um, and, and as you get to a certain age, they become more and more prevalent. Now, let's dig a little bit deeper on this because it's led us to this. Uh, we were hoping to do this on a Friday, but we need to do it today. So Sugar's come up with this one, Forensic Thursday. Okay, so Forensic Thursday, which means we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this one and give you the facts and figures around what constitutes a partial tear of the hamstring and whether or not you could go through with it. So let's break it down first. From the Sports Medicine Australia website, a grade two hamstring injury is a partial tear. So three centimetre tear, according to Craig Tiley, let's put that in grade two category. Grade two injuries, according to the Sports Medicine Australia website, Grade two injuries will require a minimum of four to eight weeks recovery. And that includes rest from sporting activity. So that's the bottom line of what you need to do according to the sports medicine website. Novak's injury timeline is interesting. We go back to Saturday, January 7. That's when the injury happened at the Adelaide International semi-final. He said, I felt a pulling on the hamstring. I needed some medical timeout. After that, when the pills kicked in, I guess after a few games, it was warm enough. I felt okay. Let's see how it feels when I wake up tomorrow. So we now know that it's a three-centimetre tear. 
Six days later, he plays an exhibition match against Nick Kyrgios. Fast and furious, six days after. Leading into the week of the Australian Open, this is what Novak had to say about his injury. I've been struggling with uh, with that a bit, to be honest, um, the last seven days, but I'm being a bit more cautious. I'm not going full out on, on, on the training sessions, so, um, you know, conserving the energy for, for next week and hopefully it won't cause a, a, an issue for me then. Uh-huh. So then we get to his first match of the Australian Open, Tuesday, January 17. Four days after he plays the exhibition match, he plays his round one match against Roberto Carbea Baena. It takes him two hours and two minutes and he dispatches of him in three sets. Across the course of the Open, he plays his seven matches. He wins the final and wins his 10th tournament here in Australia. Time on court, 17 hours, 38 minutes. Do you believe it or not? Well, I spoke to some medical professionals this morning around whether or not you could go the distance, whether you could play, what you can do with a three-centimetre tear in your hamstring. And it comes down to this, the support team and the treatment that you got. So it depends on what treatment he got, where exactly it was, whether he got a pain-killing injection, and then factor in how strong is Novak psychologically to get over the physical pain. And we know that Novak is strong. So the bottom line that I got from those that I reached out to, it's plausible. It's plausible, folks, that Novak had a three-centimetre hamstring tear and he went through 17 and a half hours of the Australian Open, an exhibition match, a semi-final and a final at the Adelaide International and did it did it the whole way with that tear. Matthew Richardson, AFL legend, when he heard that, he said on Twitter, impossible. Fitzy, Ryan Fitzgerald tweeted out, absolute bull, you know what, when he read that news. So that's my question this morning to you on Forensic Thursday. (laughs) You've got all the facts. We've dug a bit deeper. We've done the timeline. We know what the injury can do to you. And we know what type of person and athlete Novak Djokovic is. My question to you this morning, do you believe it? Do you believe that that's the injury that he had? And do you believe that he could have done what he did if that was the injury? According to the medical professionals, it's plausible. And that's where we're starting this morning. 0457 736 736. Or pick up the phone, give me a call. We've got double pass to give away to tonight's uh, challenger in the BBL, the Sydney Sixers versus the Brisbane Heat, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Welcome back. My special guest coming up after the news break will be Lockie Miller this morning. Up there now, of course, at the Newcastle Knights. Dougie Bollinger will join us this morning too, ahead of the BBL tonight. Doug and Jimmy uh, Smith will be calling that one for you from the SCG and from ESPN, their NBL reporter, Kane Pittman, as we take a look at the world of basketball. Don't forget, SEN is your home of Super Bowl 57. Jared Waitley, Ben Graham, Larry Fitzgerald Sr. will be live from Arizona. So it's the uh, Monday morning, Feb 13. We won't be on air because Super Bowl 57 will be from 9am. SEN taking the NFL to the Neds level this season. That's all thanks to Neds and obviously gamble responsibly. 1-800-858-858. The text line is open for business. Uh, Your theories, do you believe... You've been given the forensic outline on Forensic Thursday of Novak Djokovic's three-centimetre hamstring tear. Do you reckon he could have done it? I mean, I I think it's fair to say that you or I 
and listeners, I'm not putting you into, you know, my busted up body, but if, if you or I had a three centimetre hamstring tear, we'd worry about getting to the shops, let alone going through 17 and a half hours alone. That's just on court time. But you and I are not Novak Djokovic and we don't have the support staff and medical staff and the absolute drive and everything else to do what you need to do to get over it. So plausible is the outcome that I got from what I dug around from this morning. Here's some of your thoughts. The Eagle Val Rabbit, good morning to you on the text line. Novak, hammy tear a load of BS. He wasn't playing chess with it. Hmm. I mean, when you start to look at the way that he was playing, did you see one match throughout there where he was curtailed, especially in the stretching towards the ball? Surely the first thing that's got to go in that situation would be the ability not only to run after a ball, but especially in their world to slide after the ball across the courts. I I didn't see any of that, which is extraordinary to think that he's recovered from this after injuring it in the semi-final of the uh, Adelaide International. So he injured it on January 7. He started his campaign 10 days later. And what they're saying is a minimum of four to eight weeks of rest and recuperation. But again, you got to throw in the Novak factor here. You got to throw in the top of your tape, top of your game worldwide factor. Morning, could it have been the same doc that Novak had seen when he got the vaccination? <laughs> Love my SEN, says Tony. Uh, could have been. I mean, this is again, and I'll, I'll reiterate again. I've got no reason to believe that Craig Tiley isn't telling the truth here. If the doctors showed him and he saw a document that said it's a three centimetre tear, what's the point of saying otherwise? Why would you make that up? The question is, how on earth do you get through what he put him through, uh, put himself through with a tear in the hamstring? It's remarkable, absolutely remarkable, if you believe it. Here's the news. Lockie Miller coming up. Thank you, Vanessa. Looking forward to this chat. Our first guest of the day are now settling into his new life in Newcastle as part of the Knights lineup for this season. In fact, up until the end of 2025, Lockie Miller is on the line. G'day, Lockie. Hey, guys, how are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for your time this morning. So you're settling in. Give us a little rundown of of the last, what is it, the week, I guess, that's probably tipped your world upside down. Uh, Yeah, it's sort of been in the works for a little while there. Um, And then, yeah, it sort of all just happened in the uh, uh, sort of Friday last week, I heard, and then I was up here Monday. So um, it all happened pretty quick, but, uh, yeah, very excited. So what are we, Thursday? You've been there since Monday, have you? Like, how did that pan out? Is it just you up there? Have you had the chance to even bring the family up, or what's the go? Yeah, no, not yet. I just, um, I sort of just gave notice everywhere down there and then got in the car and came up here, and then uh, <laughs> my, my family will get up here today, so... Yeah, excellent. Keep and me for a little bit. Yeah, and, and look, we know that, obviously... Like you say, it's been in the pipeline for a while, so it's not as though it's something, Lockie, that just came out of the blue and you had to up and out. But there was a bit of a deal that needed to be done with the player swap. Was there any stage where you thought or your team thought that perhaps this wasn't going to go ahead or did it appear to you that Newcastle was where you're going to play this season? Uh, yeah, obviously um, I've got a pretty good relationship with uh, Craig Fitzgibbon, like my ex-coach. Um, and he was he was honest. He he was told me it's um, it's going to happen. It's just yeah. you know just got to get through it and get you know something for both teams. So um, I sort of knew it was going to happen. It was more about when. And um, you know as I said, he was really good throughout. It helped me a lot. So 
Uh, yeah, but I'm here and I'm, I'm excited. I, I don't know how you go with goodbyes. I'm a shocker at goodbyes. So how, how did you broach the subject with your teammates? You've had such a good time at the Sharks. Yeah, it's, it was tough. Obviously, they built some pretty good uh, relationships with everyone, but um, Fitzy was good enough and the club were good enough to let me go in on Monday morning and just uh, just say goodbye to everyone um, around their prep and everything and then just say thank you to all the coaches and, and then shot off. So it was good. It was nice to leave on that note. In terms of what it means for you career-wise, it's a deal that takes you out for the next three years. You've got a young family, so we've covered that aspect of it. So it gives you that clarity, I guess, Lockie, around what happens for you football and job-wise for the next few years. In terms of on-the-park-wise, how did you weigh that up, the position that you're in at the Sharks and your possible future there versus the position you could have been at the Knights and, and your future there now? Yeah, when when it sort of was going on, it was it was a tough decision because you know I didn't know any better, and I really, um, as I said, really enjoyed my time down in Canola, and you know thought uh, largely of um, Craig. But the opportunity that um, Newcastle and Adam gave to me around possibly being um, the the fullback here, it was too hard to pass pass up. And you know, like I always sort of grew up, you know, you, you dream of being a sort of a starting player or even like, you know, playing NRL. So to be, you know, an integral part of that spine, possibly it was, um, as I said, too hard to pass up. And I can imagine, because you've referenced it, I can imagine, you know, that relationship that you've had with Fitzy would have been difficult to let go as well. But obviously the the honesty talks and sessions that you've had with him would have made that easier. So how did you then gravitate? What? How much do you know about Adam O'Brien and, and how much do you think you can learn under him that you were thinking that you could have got under Craig? I was actually like a, a meeting I had with him, you know, when I came off contract. Um, and he just seems like a really good bloke. And uh, everything he sort of said to me about what the Knights want to do and how he wants to use um, his fullback with uh, Kalen at 5'8 and with Jacko and um, Braley, it was sort of all appealed to me and it sounded really good. So um, it's sort of the, pl- the way I'd like to play as well. So that's, uh, yeah, that's why I sort of was like, yeah, sounds like the coach for me. It's only a couple of years ago now, but does your Rugby Sevens career feel like a long time ago or do you still feel as though there's a lot of learning to get out of the NRL world? Uh, it feels like it was ages ago, but there's definitely um, there's definitely still a lot of learning for myself. Yeah. Um, obviously, I only had the one year um, last year. I learned a lot, but obviously you never you never arrive. You always got to keep learning. So um, I'm really looking forward to this year and learning under some new coaches and some uh, new players. So, yeah. How's the, uh, how's the situation around Newcastle? Have you scoped it out? It's a pretty good place, mate. I lived yeah. there for a couple of years. Beautiful beaches, great pubs, great cafes. Yeah, it's nice. Eh? <laughs> I, um, it's a little bit less hustle and bustle of Sydney, which is nice, but I'm a, a Coffs Harbour boy originally, so it's a little bit more like home. Um, so, yeah, I think the family's going to like it when they get up here and have a look around. It's a nice spot. And a final one. I mean, obviously it's early days, but the expectations from you in this position and, and like you say, that that starting position is there, the new spine out of the Newcastle Knights under Adam O'Brien, what are the expectations for you and the Newcastle Knights and what do you reckon you can offer fans this season as a club? Yeah, so for myself, obviously, you know, I sort of just arrived, so I'd really like to try and make that fullback spot mine. Uh, and then sort of heading forward, obviously building those combinations with the spine and 
um, you know, everyone else outside that do the middles and the and the edges. But um, the expectation for me is just I want to get on the park, play some good footy, and then obviously for the fans, we're going to deliver deliver a fair few wins, I reckon, this year. So um, I reckon we're in for a good year and we might upset a couple of people. Yeah, cool. Hey, before I let you go, I, I've just worked out that so the first time you'll play against the Sharks, Knights v Cronulla, will be round 12. So you've got to get to May to, to get there. Um, but it's going to be at Coffs Harbour. So there's a bit of synergy. So it'll be in your original backyard against the old team. Yeah, it's funny how that works, eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, so looking forward to it, but mixed emotions, I reckon. Yeah, I bet. Good on you, Lockie. Hey, thanks for your time this morning, mate. I, I think everyone's, um, you know, really rooting for you in this one and hope that the Knights can have a great season ahead. It's going to be an extraordinary one. So best of luck on that one. All the best when the family get up there and enjoy Newcastle. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much. Good man. Lockie Miller there. New Newcastle night as of this season until the end of 2025. Doesn't it make a player swap just so much easier? Just some straight-up heart-to-heart talks, some very honest approaches between player and club and obviously player managers and club and more directly player and coach. So, look, this is going to happen. This is the way it's going to work out. There's no real complication in it aside from the fact that they had to do that player swap and they eventually got that done and then, bang, all of a sudden you're in a new town at a new club with a new opportunity. It'd be the perfect world if everything like that could play out. And as we know, it's never the perfect world when you come to the NRL. But I appreciate Lockie Miller's time on that one and some big ambitions for 2023 and beyond. His is an amazing story, really. I mean, Tokyo Olympics as part of the Australian Rugby Sevens outfit. He's 28 years of age. He makes his way in the Cronulla Sharks and makes his impact in the game. And here he is being picked up by the Newcastle Knights in a critical position, an absolutely critical position because it's a critical spine. If they don't get it right this year, they may well and truly face them the kind of music that they faced last year. And that's exactly what the Newcastle Knights don't want. So best of luck to him. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line. Greg from San Susie is on the line. Morning, Greg. Morning, Matty. How are you going? Great, thank you. Mate, the RLPA must absolutely hate this this move. And the reason why it, it, it completely dispels their argument about uh, players being unable to to handle short-term transfers. So the idea of the the, um, the end-of-season uh, transfer a period of, what, three months being too short just completely goes out the window with this. And a couple of others. And I hadn't thought about that, Greg, but a couple of others. I mean, some short-term deals have already been done. And, and I've been referencing the point that it shows that they can be done even in the weird environment that we're in. No salary cap being ratified, no CBA negotiation done, but we can still do these. This is a standout because it's a it's a player swap and they don't happen often. And like I just said, um, just as you jumped on the line there, if they did happen all the time, it would be so much easier. And probably you're right. It probably does dispel um, that thought process that they're, that they're putting out there. But it doesn't happen all the time, does it? No, it doesn't, but mm. there's no reason why it couldn't. It happens in just about every other sport. Yeah. Gee, it'd be easier, wouldn't it? <laughs> it'd, say, it'd solve a lot of headaches. It'd solve a lot of sure salary cap work and, and juggling this and juggling that. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. Before I let you go, do you believe or don't you believe the three-centimetre hamstring tear and that Novak could have done what he did with it? 
Uh, I'm always a non-believer, oh. but then I did see him do a stretch in the the, the final there in, in one of the sets. I think it might have been the third set where he did wince uh, oh. and winced quite, um, you know, quite obviously. So mm. from that perspective, I would say yes, it's 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 true. But man, he's a, he's a freak if he can actually get that through. Well, that's a real good part of it, mate. I mean, he's a freak. I think we know that. Perhaps he was still wincing at Goran because they were picking a fight. Well, he was picking a fight with Goran Ivanisevic. There's a bit of wincing going on there. On your Greg, got to move on, mate. Appreciate your calls, uh, uh, your call on that one. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. We'll put you back to Tommy and see if you want to go to the cricket tonight. Uh, the BBL. Well, it's the last chance, folks, to get your ticket to watch here at the SCG because the finals locked in for Optus Stadium on Saturday night. Who do the Perth Scorchers play? Will it be the Sydney Sixers? Will it be the Brisbane Heat? Dougie Bollinger will join me throughout the course of the program. We'll get to the bottom of that back after this. Our Forensic Thursday, uh, where we've dug into the timeline and all of the facts and figures around Novak Djokovic's three-centimetre tear in the hamstring and whether or not you believe it has become a bit of do you believe Thursday. Uh, Do you believe that Tom Brady has really retired? Because we've been down this path before. So it struck me, folks, that apparently now, when an athlete retires, we've got to hear some words after after I'm retiring. Let's have a listen to Tom. Good morning, guys. I'll get to the point right away. I'm retiring for good. Aha. Aha. So unless an athlete now says for good, we just put it in there in the, in the oh, okay, he's just parking it for a bit. They, they just decided to just pull over and sit on the side of the highway for a bit because they're going to gonna unretire. So there it is. Athletes out there, if you are deciding to pull the pin completely, you have to enact the words for good, and then we can hold it to you. 0457 736 736. Do you believe, Tom? Let me know. I mean, not 2 a.m., Tommy, because we know the answer to that. But do you believe Tom Brady, 45 years of age? When it comes to the uh, current CBA negotiations, I pointed out this morning that the Penrith Panthers, as we know, have done their deal with uh, Liam Martin for another year. But what got me was the CEO saying that um, the future discussions for future years, we can now have those discussions, continue those discussions. This is from Matt Cameron now that the salary cap position has been ratified by the NRL as part of the ongoing CBA negotiation. So I went, hang on a second, the salary cap hasn't been. So Matt Cameron's words here, the salary cap position has been ratified by the NRL. So kind of, kind of, sort of, maybe, yeah, but not really because the number has not been agreed to. The salary cap has not been agreed to because it's one issue within the CBA. Matty, I'm currently out west digging a hole with a shovel in 30-plus heat. I wage for the day 150 bucks. Tell these buffheads to just sign off with the league and get on with it. We'll gladly change places with them, says Paul. Um, thank you, Paul. And, and believe me, when you talk to the players, they, they understand that side of stuff. They, they understand the message that you're giving right there. But they also understand that this is not – And this is where I think, and I've said before, I don't think they've explained this very well because it's got lost in the public arena that it's not just all about money for them. And it's not just all about the salary cap figure. Now, I've focused on that this morning because I've got a Panthers boss, I've got a club boss saying that the salary cap position has been ratified, yet I've got the RLPA saying, no, it hasn't been signed off on. 
So it's just one part of the issue. And I think everybody can understand that side of it. Everybody can understand protection around the workplace and um, workers' compensation rights and pregnancy rights, everything to go with it. But the money part is the part that keeps going back to, it keeps going back to this debate because of exactly what you say there, Paul. You're slogging away, it's a hot day, and you know the number. And it's very different to those kind of numbers that they're playing for in the game of rugby league. I would say on the whole, and I don't know because I don't pick up the phone and speak to every single football player in the game, but I dare say on the whole that they know the position that they're in in terms of the money that they make for the job that they do is a privileged position. And most people who are in that privileged position, whether they're athletes or not, understand that. They know that they're lucky. So I think they're hearing you, mate. I absolutely think they're hearing you, but it's also a lot bigger than just that. A lot of detail um, still to be done. Why doesn't Djokovic just put out the scans to shut everyone up? Ooh, I think he's full of it, says Ben from Melbourne. Well, that'd, that'd make a difference, wouldn't it? However, Ben, do you reckon that if he did, everyone would go, are they really yours? <laughs> are they really yours? Did your dog tear a hamstring that we got a shot of? I mean, that's the kind of world that he's living in at the moment. And does he have to? I guess that's the other part of it. Does he really have to explain or not? Because I guarantee he's more worried about what he took home than what he needs to show you on the on the old monitor with the lights behind it. As in, he took home the check and the trophy <laughs> versus do I have to show you the hamstring tear? Steve uh, on the line. Novak has a success linked recovery ability. The injury only flares up during a match if he's in trouble, but always gets raised post-match to set the excuse for the next match if needed. A lot of people think that way. My conspiracy theory in the final was, remember how he came out in the final? It was the only match in the Open that he wasn't heavily strapped. He still had that tape down there, but he didn't have the white strapping. My theory was perhaps if it started to go astray, as in the game, the match, that he could have called for a timeout to get the strapping, but he didn't need it. So that blew that one apart. Back after this. The one and only Douglas Bollinger Esquire will be joining me in our next hour. He'll be calling the match tonight with uh, the other one and only Jimmy Smith Esquire uh, at the SCG. I don't know why, but it's, it's probably the time that I've spent with both of them. They just deserve that title at the back of it. But uh, Dougie's going to have a chat with us uh, in our next hour. Off the back, too, of Steve O'Keefe re-signing for the Sydney Sixers. So they locked in Jordan Silk the other day. Dan Christian, we know, is going to retire um, at the end of BBL 12. And Socky Boy is going to keep uh, uh, keep on going. Steve O'Keefe, did I say? Did I say Steve Smith? Steve O'Keefe is uh, going to be there again. So Socky Boy's going around for the 13th time. Uh, 0457 736 736. You know the number because, boy, there are plenty of text matches, uh, test text messages. May what is going on? Coming through both on the Novak Djokovic situation and rugby league coaches, should they have their say? How much do you want to hear at the back end of matches? And obviously, what's going to cross the line when you come to referees? Thursday morning on our show, a big welcome to our listeners joining us on SENQ 693 AM in Brisbane, 1620 AM on the Gold Coast. The weather look ahead for you up there in Brizzy and around Brisbane. Uh, Partly cloudy today, 31 degrees and a little bit warmer out west, obviously, in Sydney as well. 
uh, 30 degrees in the city and 34 in the west. Uh, that's the forecast. The best news at the moment ahead of the challenger tonight at the SCG is that there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing from the Weather Bureau that says that uh, the weather's going to play a major part in that one. So let's hope, fingers crossed, that we get through, go the distance in the Challenger final between the Sydney Sixers and the Brisbane Heat. Doug Bollinger coming up very soon. He'll be calling that match tonight. So how does he see this one playing out? And also the issue of Usman Khawaja, who will thankfully be heading off to India today. So he's had to sit around and wait for the visa situation to be sorted. Um, it's believed that it's just off the back of the fact that he was born in Pakistan and we all know the the complications around that when you're heading off to India. So thankfully, Usman Khawaja, the rest of the team's already there. A couple of support staff, from what I gather, stuck around and Uzi and those uh, others will jump on a plane today out of Melbourne and catch up with the rest of the squad. We've had a chat this morning on my program with Lockie Miller, who's now at the Newcastle Knights. So his first week in the new city of Newcastle after leaving Cronulla on a player swap. If you'd like to catch up with that on our podcast, do so. Uh, The Mornings with Matt White podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, it's a great chat. And it was a quick move around, although it was something that was in the wind. And we're talking about a player who's made the transition from rugby union at the highest level in sevens over to rugby league. Now a man wanted because he can be part of that spine that Adam O'Brien is building. So catch up with that on our podcast. And we're doing Forensic Thursday this morning. Just didn't roll off because we couldn't do Forensic Friday. We decided to do it today where we busted down in detail the timeline of Novak Djokovic's injury, which Craig Tiley, the Tennis Australia boss, has revealed that it was a three-centimetre tear that the doctors showed him. So we busted open the timeline to say, okay, it happened on the, on the 7th of January in the semifinals at the Adelaide International. He then played before, he played the final, obviously, and then played the exhibition match before he got to the Australian Open proper, which was 10 days after the event of the injury. He then played two weeks of the Australian Open, 17 and a half hours, and he won the thing and didn't look as though he was troubled too much throughout there with what would be a grade two partial tear of the hamstring, which would require normally some four to eight weeks of rest and recuperation. He was back on it within 10 days and performing at the highest level uh, for two weeks for seven matches thereafter. So Forensic Thursday (laughs) posted the question of, do you believe it? Well, there are a lot of people who don't just because it's Novak. And the medical professionals will tell you that just because it's Novak, you have to believe it or you can believe it because he operates on a different level with different support staff, pain-killing injections, perhaps the kind of routines that you and I can't go through because he's got to get up and go to work, and the way that he treats it psychologically too through the pain barrier. Plus, there are three different muscles in the hamstring, and it will also depend on which one it was or where the tear occurred as to the severity of what it does to you. We don't know the answer to that yet. So Craig Tiley sort of opened a bit of a can of worms and then shut it on us and we've had to do the digging thereafter. Meanwhile, the CBA negotiations continue between the NRL and the Rugby League Players Association. So let's start there on the open line. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Pedro's on the line. Morning to you. So your take on where this is at. Um, I think we're into day two of three days of heavy, heavy deal making. Yeah, how are you going, Matt? I mean, I, I like many and stunned that it's uh, it's 
come to this so close to the start of the season. Um, and hindsight's a wonderful thing, Matt. But wouldn't it have been good if they had been able to present a United front, sat together three or four months ago and eat this out, not in public. And if they, if they want to introduce the thing, the sort of ex-players, which I think is great, so be it. They could have worked out a way of, of getting extra couple of controlled, the NRL, extra couple of uh, present points to the players' pay, the players say, we're going to give 2% of our wages. That way, everyone looks good. At the moment, nobody looks good. People are bagging the players, going, oh, they're greedy. People are bagging PVL, um, saying, he can't get it done. What's he doing? He's sitting there. They both look bad. Mm. You know, as I say, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but surely they knew this was going to blow up if, they, if it was tip for tap. I mean, it, it could have worked out so much better if they had done it earlier behind closed doors. Well, yeah, you're right. And we had this discussion, Pedro, this morning um, in the office as to why couldn't it have got done earlier? So let me take you back. And you mentioned, you know, three or four months ago would have been awesome. Well, three months ago, um, what are we now? In Just into February, three months ago, there wasn't a TV deal done. The TV deal was done, officially done on December 20, right? So effectively nothing can be done thereafter because that's where the money comes from. That's where most of the money comes from. So as, as much as, as we would want it to be done, the way that the TV deal fell meant that the number that they really had in their bank balance, essentially, wasn't there until December 20. And then we know that December 23, the NRL put that salary cap announcement of the figure out there. And we all know how that came out. It was like, this is the biggest deal ever. There's money, money, money galore. So it all sort of happened pretty quickly off the back of the TV TV deal, but nothing can happen until that TV deal's done. Well, now it's done. That was December 20. Let's take two weeks out of that because of Christmas slash New Year's. Now, there'll be people who say, well, surely you can get into a room, but hey, let's just let's take a week out at best, right? So then you start getting into January. Now, normal negotiations will say that you then need a period of Let's get it, especially in, in footy, let's get it out there. Let me get my side out there. Let's get your side out there. Let's play this through the media a little bit. Let's play the negotiation game. So let's buy another couple of weeks' worth of that stuff. So we get to the point where we've just ticked over to February yesterday and we're really only starting to get to the nitty-gritty of all issues on the table today. So when you run a timeline, geez, we're doing timelines today. When you run a timeline through that, Pedro, you can understand why they're at, where they're at. Is it the best outcome? No. Will it be the best outcome? We don't know. Um, should it have been done earlier? In a perfect world, yes. But the the rugby league TV deal will navigate, point you towards the next step of your navigation of what you do thereafter. And that's the bottom line, mate, because there's so much money tied up in that deal. You can't do a deal about salary caps and payments and player funds until you know where the funds are coming from and how much they're going to be. That's my take on it. Good on you, Pedro. Appreciate that call. Thank you for that, mate. A couple of text messages here to set the scene about what people are thinking around the Novak Djokovic scenario. Um, What's Craig Tiley doing announcing that he had the three-centimetre tear? Surely it's not his role to – surely it is not his role to be completely uh, neutral. 
as in surely it's his role to be completely neutral. So what's he doing? And then Marcel points out, he says he's sucked up to Novak ever since the murky ban. And in my view, Novak has received preferential treatment unavailable to average people. Well, there's truth in that, Marcel. And the reason why is one of Craig Tiley's absolute top mission jobs of each Australian Open is to get the best players in the world there and the top player in the world. And regardless of what people think about Novak Djokovic, at the Australian Open, he's the king. He's now won it 10 times. No one's been in that air. So his job is to get Novak here. That's his job. Whether or not he loves him, he's a fan, forget about it. That's his job. And the same with the women's. This year, his job, get on Jabur here. Number one player in the world, that's the job. Yes, you have to give them preferential treatment because whether we like it or not, they have earned it. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Keep those phone calls coming or 0457 736 736. Yeah, that's the way that we get Dougie Bollinger online, isn't it? With a riff like that, who's joining us to talk about the BBL. Good morning, Douglas. My old mate, Matty White. How are you, my mate? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Now, what are you doing? Are you out there in the heat? Are you churning it up in uh, in the la- in the land of the lawns? I am. I'm out spraying, mate, doing a couple of quotes and just um, trying to get some done before the old school pickup. <laughs> And then you've got to get yourself to the SCG. So, mate, hopefully the weather's going to be fine tonight. I've been checking it out and following it, and we all know what could happen in summer in Sydney. So let's just put that aside for a bit because the matchup itself is a beauty, Dougie. The Sixers, who, along with the Scorchers, have been clearly the two best teams, I reckon, throughout the tournament. But we've got the Brisbane Heat, who are hitting their straps at the right time. Your gut feel about how this is going to play out. Uh, mate, I, it's, hard to, it's hard not to say the Sixers, isn't it, mate? It's, um, they're at home, they're at the SCG. Um, it's going to be, hopefully, the great crowd turns up. Um, and, and hopefully it's a good night, but I'm picking I'm picking the Sixers, Scorchers. And rightly so, they've been the form teams of the year, haven't they, mate? They have, they have. But you, you'd know about momentum. So the Sixers were over there on Saturday night at Optus, Optus Stadium and they had a seven-wicket loss to the Scorchers. Um Scorches through to the final. So if you look at the Sixers' momentum, it hits a little bit of a roadblock. You look at the Heat's momentum, and they come off the back of wins against the Renegades and the Thunder. So you'd rather take a winning record into this kind of thing than a one-match losing record. Oh, for sure, mate. Absolutely. And let's not take away how good the Aussies were for both teams, weren't they? It was great to see them back. Um, and that's why they're, that's why we want to see them. They're Aussie yeah. players. They do the best they can. And they play so well, mate. But I... I it's been great to watch it, and you know what? Hopefully, it's just a really good game tonight because I reckon the BBL this year has been standout. What do you reckon's been the reason why? Because it's been teetering on the edge, um, Dougie, for a whole stack of reasons, and I reckon mostly around the fact that there's just too much. Like fatigue is a massive factor for not only players but obviously fans. So, what do you reckon the reason why the BBL has, has garnered its its mojo back? Mate, to be honest, to be completely honest, it's great that we won. And, you know, we just saw Davey Warner and the guys get wickets. But, mate, the test matches were so bad, I think everyone turned them off. Yeah. Um, and and I, and I think that shows everyone, you know, everyone, it was great to see everyone get out. And I think that's what it was, get out the family atmosphere. The sun's been out. We had 25,000 at, at the um, at the Gabba. And as I said, when, when was the last time that was there? So I think... The proof's in the pudding with that, and as a um, you know, take nothing away from the Aussies. It's great that they won and they all done well and everything. But 
there was just no there was just no contest, was there? Yeah, it's a good point. I didn't think about it that way. I mean, you know, everyone sort of goes, well, you need a good test series to continue. Well, Mr. White, if I said it, it's definitely right. <laughs> All right. If, if I was if I was wrong, if I was wrong, I didn't know what I was talking about. Don't you think I'd know? Hey, you'd God. never you'd never admit if you were wrong anyway. You're like Fonzie. You, you, you're Fonzie without the hair, Dougie. Um, could never admit that he's <laughs> never admit that he's wrong. So we know who's going to well, be out. But listen, we well, know who's going to be out. Next time I see Jukebox, I'm going to kick it as hard <laughs> as I can. <laughs> we know who's going to be out. No Steve Smith, obviously. He's the headline act for the Sydney Sixers, and he was uh, unbelievable in, in his short performances there. But then you look at the Heat. No Kawaja, no Labashane, no Matt Renshaw. But there's all, all kinds of good players coming in on both sides as well. So how do you how do you factor that when you're in a team? So let let me put you in these shoes, right? You're playing for the Sixers, yep. and for the last four or five matches, you've had Smudge there, and it's a fair bet that he's going to get you a, a a pretty big total, and it's and it's all systems go. And then you're in the one that's going to get you to the final, and there's no Smudge there, but you've got Daniel Hughes, who you know can well and truly do the job. What does that mean for the player mindset in the group? Oh, mate, we all know that's a big hole, massive, massive hole. But, you know, the Sixers got there this season by doing it anyway. Um, Daniel Hughes, he's he's been there for quite a few years now. Half the Sixers team have been there seven, eight, nine seasons a year. So they know what they're doing. But it it is a bit of a burden because you think, wow, Steve Smith and all these guys are back. But it'll just be another game. Daniel Hughes will come in. He'll do his best. I'm not sure if he'll open the batting. But he, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing with 2020 cricket. And, um, and, and he'll be fine. Same as, you know, I'm probably pretty sure Sam Heslett will come back in. He's, he's played a lot of B-Bell in the past. He's just, it's just, a, you know, one of those things where they've got to come back at a really crucial game and, and perform. So um, it's, it's just one of those things where they've got to work on it. But they'll, they'll be fine, mate. It'll be a good game. And, and as I said, these guys are professional and they know how to play the game. Hey, did you hear that Socky's re-signed? He's going around again. Don't yeah, you? how good's that? Hey. How good's that? Yeah, and he, he, he looks like an athlete too, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'll get back. It's awesome though. I mean, he'll be 39 when the tournament essentially kicks off next year. So yeah. that's one of the cool that's things cool. about BBL. It, it allows these careers to have that extra year. Yeah, it is, mate. And, and BBL's, BBL's given everyone a career, hasn't it? It's got a little, given a lot of blokes a career. And it's given a lot of guys, you know, that sense of, you know, I can make some good money while I'm playing it. So good luck to him. He's one of those players that you need around. You need senior players around. And they can just give you the bit of edge. And, and they can teach you a lot of things as well. So and it's, it's, it's really good. I'm really happy that he's signed again. Dude, you must need the money. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we all need the money. Just a quick one. Australia v India. So Usman yeah. Khawaja is going to fly out today and join them. Um, this is going to be a fascinating series. Have you got a top-line view on the four tests ahead of us? Mate, I reckon, the, I reckon the Indian Test Series is going to be unbelievable, um, especially coming into an Ashes Series as well. Um, I think it's going to be phenomenal. I think it's going to be... And I, th- I think it's going to come down to just who can, who can you know, last the longest, uh, who, who can battle bowl down to the last day, who's going to take that, take that opportunity. But they're, they're always amazing series, and, and, and they're on at a perfect time of the day. A little boy gets home at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and the Test Series starts at 3.30, so... Oh. It's, it's going to be unreal to watch. Oh, you'll have a refreshment in your hand by three thirty-one. Have you uh, ever done? Have you ever done a hammy in your time? Yeah, of course. I ripped it on the bone, but thank you for bringing that up. Oh, I appreciate it, mate. Oh, how long were you out for? 
seven seven months, and thanks for re going over that question, mate. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Yeah, okay. Appreciate let me it, ask you a follow up question. You reckon you could have won the Australian Open if you tore your hamstring? Uh, definitely. I'm from my mate of Seven Hills, that Blacktown way. Of course. Seriously. I used to go to school like that, mate. I used to do my hands and ride my bike to school, mate. Oh, mate. You are, you are world class. All right. Good man. Great to catch That's up. A, Let's get can't you wait back. to see you again, mate. Let's get you back to work and then enjoy calling tonight and look after Jimmy. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Have a good day. <laughs> see you, Dougie. Dougie Bollinger joining us there. Uh, that's the kind of stuff you're in for tonight. Thank God Jimmy Smith's going to be there at the SCG. Uh, so it's the challenger, Sydney Sixers v Brisbane Heat. You'll hear it right here on SEN. Let's take a break. More of your texts and calls coming up. Let's get to some of these text messages. Jay from Blacktown, I'm calling BS on the hamstring. How do we know it's actually Novak scan anyway? Um, Tylee should just stay out of it. And then this one from Matt, my sister's GP. She can't go around showing patient scans willy-nilly. It's illegal under the statutory oath. If Tylee saw a scan, he saw it from Novak. No one else can legally do it. Well, let's just have a listen to Craig Tylee. If you haven't heard this, this is what's um, sort of generated all of this interest. And it is a worldwide story. Jump on the on the net and you'll find out that these uh, comments have resonated. And they came last night on Sports Day with Kane Corns and Jared Healy from Craig Tylee. At the end of the day, I don't think anyone can question his athleticism. This guy, I did see, he had a three-centimeter tear in his hammy. He had a tear last year in his stomach, and and all those. So are you, say, are you saying there was a there was a tear in absolutely. in the hammy? You, you saw the scan. Yep, absolutely. And the doctors are not going to tell you. They're going to tell you the truth. And and uh, and so he, you know, I think there was a lot of speculation of whether it was true or not. And it's hard to believe that someone can do what they do with those types of injuries, but. But I, you know, he's remarkable. He's, he's he and to deal with extremely professional. He's so focused on everything that he does, every single minute of the day, what he eats, how he, what he drinks, when he does it, how he does it. Um, there's no breakdown, no mental breakdown ever in anything that he does. And he's been through a, a lot. And uh, and to win ten Australian Opens, uh, I don't think that's ever going to be repeated. Okay. So did he see the scan or didn't he see the scan? Forensic Thursday has just taken a twist. Has just taken a twist, folks. Because he said this guy had a three-centimetre tear in his hamstring, then said the doctors are not going to lie to you, they're going to tell you the truth. Then he was pressed, did you see the scan? He said, yes, I did. So it's a good question that our listeners have raised as we go forensically even deeper into this one. I mean, we're getting into the sinew here of what's going on. Um, how did he see the scan? Why did he see the scan? I mean, seriously, this is getting really, really deep because I'm telling you, a lot of people just simply don't believe it. And I think a lot of people simply don't believe it because it's Novak. Um, why would Craig Tiley want to say anything else? And why would the doctors tell him anything else? And why, folks, why, as our listeners have just pointed out, would you be showing somebody the, your, your hamstring tear? If you can't do it, I mean, if the doctors legally can't do it, oh, man, this is getting really, really heavy. Um, the fact is, whatever he had, it didn't stop him from winning tournament number 10 and equaling Rafa overall. Morning, Matty. If the coaches, the NRL coaches, this one from Paul, are going to be shackled in the post-match interviews, what's the point of having them? Fans want to hear what the coaches have to say. 
I think it'd be better also if players had more say in after-game interviews. Um, yeah, yeah, on that. So this is off the further report in the News Limited papers this morning on the coaches' survey that they've been doing. And it was off the question, should all commentary slash criticism related to the performance of a referee by coaches be banned? Should it be off the table? Well, 67% of coaches have said no. So they obviously want to be able to say their piece. And the criticism or commentary related to the performance of a referee is a touchy issue. If you take it too far, you should be, I think, squared up, essentially, by the league if you're going to start getting personal or question the referee's integrity. And I dare say that coaches would feel the same way if anyone did that to them. So that one, for me, is a bit of a no-brainer. Do you want to hear more of what the coaches have to say? Yeah. Do you want to hear more of the players? I, I think the players have plenty to say in after-game. The, the, we'll put it this way. The platform's there for them to say it. No question about it. How much have they got to say after they've won or lost is completely up to them. Your thoughts on that? Let me know. Let's go to the news first. Jimmy Smith and Dougie Bollinger will be live at the SCG. Just on that, uh, Gary says, Matty, if Doug Bollinger is not the most popular ex-cricketer going around, then who is? He relates to the battle of the way he came into grade, went on to play a couple of tests. I watched him play grade, and you could see he was a good one. Uh, Gary, that's a really good way of putting Dougie. A good one. He's just a good one, isn't he? He's out there slogging away out in the heat. He'll do the school pickup at the back end of the day, and then he'll head off to the SCG, work his way through the crowd. A lot of autographs to sign for Douglas. Lot, um, but he's got a. He's he's normally on a mission to get to the commentary box because the commentary box is not too far away from the catering department. Um, so he knows his way around the SCG. But you're right, Gary. He's a champ, absolute champ, lunatic, but champ, and that's why we love him. One three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number. Plenty of thoughts coming through here around not only Novak Djokovic, obviously, um, but also uh, Craig Tiley's position in all of this. And I'll get to those in just a second. Uh, second, the hamstring says Lee won its first Australian Open, but Novak's still on nine. So you've credited Novak with nine and the hamstring with one. Okay, that's a good way of getting forensic. It is forensic Thursday. Um, I tried to come up with something, you know, around the Thursday theme, around forensically digging into, and then Sugar said, well, it's it's Thursday. What about Forensic Thursday? <laughs> I went, well, that works good up until the time that the captain's run is back on a Thursday <laughs> with Cam Smith and Den and Kemp. We go back to Monday to Wednesday, Matty Johns, and I will be doing a special show for you Monday mornings off the back of... Uh, the league round, of course, so it's going to be awesome. And then Tuesday, Wednesdays, the morning show continues, and then it's the captain's run, and then Maddie with Morning Glory again on a Friday. So we're doubling up the back end of the week and the start of the week with M. Johns right here. Can't wait for that. It'll start next week. Next week, I do believe. He's back, folks. And so too is Tommy with some coins on the table. From one lunatic to another. <laughs> morning, Maddie. Morning, listeners. Um, <laughs> Hang on, which lunatic are you going from? Oh, Dougie. Dougie, right. Yeah, 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 not yeah. Maddie Johns, Fair of enough. course. Jeez. Not. Hey? No. Talk about picking not the fights man. before the season starts. Um, okay, so Novak Djokovic. There's a good text here. Kev from Camden says, Hey, Maddie, I'm missing something. RE Djokovic's hammy. What does he have to gain by lying about it? That's a great <laughs> question, Kev. He has so much to gain to lie, um, so much to gain from lying about it. And he, I think he is fudging the truth a little bit. 
sure, you know, he probably strained it, but I think he's fudging the truth. A couple things. When we talk about kind of the great athletes in history, they have these great moments, particularly when they're up against adversity. And a lot of the times that adversity is in the face of injury. Think of Michael Jordan, his flu game. Think of Cooper Cronk just a few years ago with that fractured scapula. Think of Sam Burgess in the 2014 grand final um, with his cheekbone. John Sattler all the way back in the 60s with his broken jaw. These are folklore moments where you remember not really the players, not really the outcome of the game, but kind of what they did in that moment. Mm. And especially in a sport like tennis, where we spoke about this on Monday, we've been speaking about it all year. Who's the GOAT? Is it Novak? Is it Rafa? Is it Roger? Novak's going to streak away with the titles, but there's still going to be some people that will put it against him just because they don't like him. You know, Roger was the first one. He's all classy. Same with Rafa. Classy, you know, determined, effort. Novak can then say, well, hang on. Look at me. I I want an Australian Open. I want a major tournament on one leg. I had a three-centimetre tear. Yeah, I had a three-centimetre tear. Now, he's not going to come out and say it himself. He hasn't said it. He hasn't said it himself. But, hey, Craig Tiley, and you admitted it last hour, Craig will do anything for these stars. He wants to keep them on side. Novak's the biggest dog in tennis right now. No more Roger. So how do you keep the biggest star on side? You say anything to make him look good. And a three-centimetre hamstring tear looks pretty good in the history and the folklore of Novak Djokovic and his tennis heroics. So that's why I believe he's fudging it a little bit. He's definitely lying. <laughs> Hang on. You went from fudging it a bit well, okay, to li- definitely lying. Okay, li- one's a white line, one's why, a big would, line, still lying. Why would Craig Tiley lie about the injury that he has been told from the doctors? So that that I don't see any part okay, of that. Okay, well, maybe and, the doctor's lying. And maybe, I, Craig, <laughs> maybe, Craig, maybe Craig doesn't know that he's lying, but he's just regurgitating because, the truth that he's been told. Because we're but, questioning the integrity of somebody here on, on a serious matter, and, and I'm not questioning that at all. Um I'm saying, I mean, I think what Craig Tiley said last night in that interview is what he's been told and possibly what he's been seen. This, I don't have any problem with that. Don't, no problem with that whatsoever. Um, I think a lot of people just go, well, hang on a second. Could you do that? So that that's the, the forensic part for me was this morning trying to work out because you and I both know if you and I tore a hamstring, whether it was three centimetres or one, that we'd struggle to go down and get a coffee. There's, there's, you said it before. He played 17 and a half hours on court at the Australian Open. There is no way in my mind he'd be able to play if he had a three-centimetre hamstring tear. No way. Absolutely no way. He can have as many, He's not a fan of injections, though, so I shouldn't say he can get all the injections that he wants. That's just a fact. He doesn't like injections. Um, but he could get all of those. I, I, you had Matthew Richardson, AFL legend. He tore his hamstring off the bone back in 2009. He knows what it would feel like. Um, there's no way he can play tennis and how fit Novak Djokovic is around the core. He's probably the fittest on the tour. I don't think he can play with a three-centimetre hamstring tear. I'm not trying to take away from his effort, mm. but I think he's fudging a little bit to make himself look a little bit better, to make his achievement look a little, look a little bit better. i tell you what. If I was Novak, right, if I was Novak and I had 22 major titles and I just walked out of here with a 10th Australian Open, the last thing I'd be thinking about is proving myself to whether or not people thought I had a hamstring tear or not. Ser- I, that would, it would be so far off the list of my things to do. It, I'd be way above that. Would be what am I going to order in okay, first class? I'll ask you this: then. Why show Craig Tiley in the first place? Are they that closer mates? Yes, absolutely they are. I don't know. And I'm not saying Craig is like I'm not saying that. I'm saying 
he's he's saying what he's been told or what he's yeah. been shown. And who sh- who showed it to him? Novak's medical team. But that's what he's reported. Yeah. That's what he I mean, said. I mean, why show? I, I don't think there was any subterfuge going on here. I happened to sit next to, you referenced him before, Sam Burgess. I happened to sit next to him on a plane one day, and it wasn't long after um, his massive collision in the grand final. And I just happened to say, I don't know him. I didn't know him. But we were having a chat, and he showed me the x-ray of his face. Oh, yeah. You could see as soon as he James Graham's head hit his face, you could see it was fractured or something was wrong I know, with but it. But what I'm saying to you is he showed it to me because it was a topic of conversation. It wasn't, you know, it's the same as sort of bumping into Novak's team or whatever and saying, oh, by the way, did you see this? Check this out. That's my hamstring. I, I don't think there's any, let's show it to you because next day you're going to be on SEN Sports Day and you're going to tell the world. I, mean, I, I just think that it naturally came out. So a lot of people, this is, this is really fascinating. I just think a lot of people don't, but don't want to believe it because they don't like Novak. And, and I understand that that's just part of the psyche. There's also a lot of people who don't like Craig Tiley's role in what happened with Novak last year, what's happened this year, and the fact that he buddies up to Novak because that's his job. So there's a little bit around that. The, the, the forensic examination of it tells you that normal people can't get through with that kind of hamstring injury at that level. But then the other part of that is that medical professionals will tell you that these people aren't normal and they have access to incredible uh, rehab and all that kind of stuff. And they're psychologically built different. So it's definitely plausible that they could do it. So that's, that's the bottom line of this, whether or not you believe it, once you've got all those facts in front of you is going to be just a a moment of of whether or not you really want to back Novak or not. My final thing, I couldn't care about what happened last year. I've said it before, in my eyes, he's the he's the goat of tennis. He's the greatest that I that I've ever seen. He's above Rafa. He's above Roger, and he's going to go. He's going to win more titles. But mm. these athletes, these guys who are pegged as the greatest, in my opinion, just from watching them, they're aware of their own legacy. They're constantly trying to measure up against the best, and they're constantly trying to create different ways in which they can be pegged against their rivals, their compatriots, their their colleagues. All right. So in my mind, I'm not saying he's manufactured it, but it's another reason why you can put Novak above a Roger or above a Rafa. It's adding it's what, because adding he to, did it with a bad hamstring? Yes. No, did, did don't, it, don't, did don't buy that for a second. Did it with a three-centimeter tear because it, it adds to the folklore. No, it doesn't. The, the, the 22 slash 23, 24, whatever he ends up trophies will because he's already above them. Yes, but then you that. go but then you go back and you say he's 10th Oz open. No, oh, that's when he that's when he won it with a 3 centimeter hamstring tear. Why come out then with the exact measurement? Why not just say hamstring tear? Because you want to add to it. Ask Craig. Get him on the line. Jody from the Lake has got a good point. Is this the tennis equivalent of the Bunning Sausage Sanger saga? Uh, great way to keep the Australian Open tennis in the news. Good on him. <laughs> that's a fair point. Oh, I love Forensic Thursday. It sends us down all sorts of weird Weirdness. Nice work, Tommy. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number. On that uh, text line, no name on this one, but it says, we are such experts on hamstrings that we send our footballers to the USA to treat them. That's a very good point. Yeah. What how, What does Bill Knowles think about all this? What do you reckon? What is... <laughs> that's who we need to reach out. Bill, what can you do with a three-centimetre tear? <laughs> because... It's been shown that you can win. However, there is a good point further to the forensic digging on this. Um, and I knew that our listeners would, would you know, have details that we didn't think about, even though we're being forensic as much as we can. We're forgetting 
that Novak got the scans after the tournament. The injury would have got worse over matches and three centimetres would have been less when we first knew about the injury three weeks ago. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So does, is that where the scans came from? Did the scans come on the Monday morning? He's busy, isn't he? He's, he's down there by the Yarra having his photo taken with the trophy. Uh, I, mm, I don't know. But thank you. Did he get his scan? Let's dig. Let's forensically, forensically dig into that one to see if the scans came after or did they come during when he had that injury. Because, folks, <laughs> because he had the injury in the semi-final of the Adelaide International. Oh, my goodness. Uh, morning, Matty. If there was a three-centimetre tear in Novak's hamstring, wouldn't there be excessive bleeding, therefore a bruise that would be clearly obvious to everyone who looked at his legs? We can go down that track and get someone to confirm. Uh, that's from the Maroon Viking uh, listening in on SENQ. Thank you for that. Well, this is something we post. I- I've only done Mahami once, and believe me, it wasn't trying to win an Australian Open. <laughs> it was playing Els tag, and I had a huge bruise. It was like somebody had attacked me with a baseball bat in the back of my leg. It was awful. But let's not forget, folks, that he had his hamstring taped up, not only with the sports injury tape, but that white wrap taping all the way around it. So we didn't get to see. So, yes, that was a question that was raised. The old bruise could have been the dead giveaway, but we didn't get to see it. Uh, He did take it off for the final. But by then, perhaps the bruise was gone. <laughs> Matty, I disagree with your comments on Craig Tiley being right in pampering Novak. Sure, it is Craig's job to land the best players, but once here, all players should be pampered equally. It's like black caviar always being allowed to enter the barriers last because she'd get upset if put in early. Yes, she was the star of the show, but it was an unfair advantage to all the other owners, trainers, etc. Once betting's involved, which there is in the Oz Open, all bets should be equal. Cheers from Tony. In a perfect world, yeah. Absolutely. I, I've got no problems with everything you've just said, but it operates differently. It's just the nature of the beast. And scheduling is done differently to satisfy a whole range of partners at the table. And one of those partners, the main obvious one is your broadcasters, and one of those partners is the players essentially themselves. And I've said it to you time and time again, we might sit here and say that all bets should be off. We should all play. Novak should play and Roger should have played on court 27. The fact is it's not going to happen. And the reason why is they're the biggest draw cards. And then not only that, they've built up this extraordinary bank of credits, whether you think they're right or wrong or not. And that's the job of the tournament director to get the best product on at the best time in front of the biggest crowd. So there's a further texter about that who's penciled out all the matches and the way that it's fallen out. There's no equal science to it, believe me. As much as we'd love to, there is no equal science to trying to have an equal playing field when it comes to scheduling. And it's obvious. The top players in the world, Novak was ranked number four coming into this, but he's now number one. And like I pointed out, won the thing coming into this more than anyone else. Serena got the same kind of treatment. It's across the board. And they deserve it, don't they? I mean, do you you look at Roger a little bit differently when he strolls on into Wimbledon and says, yeah, look, I'd rather play there. Yes, sir. That's the way that it works. Uh, Matty, 
This one from the Rooster Man. So where are all the Manly fans who gave up their memberships when Des was sacked and Anthony Seabold put in? Um, well, I don't know the answer. I'm blowed if I know, Rooster Man. I don't know. I do know this. We're now 28 days away from the start of the Premiership proper. 28 days until the season starts. By the way, if you missed it this morning, my ca- uh, my chat with Lockie Miller, now at the Newcastle Knights, is up on our podcast. So wherever you get your podcast, go to the mornings with Matt White on the SEN podcast and tune on into that. Great chat with the 28-year-old who's now a Newcastle Knight and uh, opened up on the chats that he had leaving the Sharks. Craig Fitzgibbon gave him the opportunity to go and address um, his teammates and then bang, he's in the car and up the freeway. And there he is. The family will be joining him. Uh, good morning, Matty. All I'm going to say is this, says Kane from WA. Injuries sell tickets. Hmm. Well, the main injury information we're getting, Kane, is after the event. But perhaps, perhaps there's something in that as well. Our forensic listeners are really busting this case open. However, I think we're getting more questions than answers. Uh, Jody from the lake, I love this text. Maddie, I just worked out what SEN stands for. Speculation Entertainment Network. <laughs> um, with a whole heap of question marks. Well, possibly, but let's not forget that the speculation here has come off our Forensic Thursday fact file. So we start with the facts, but then the speculation's been falling left, right and centre. And I gave you the facts around what a partial tear actually is and a hamstring, what a grade two tear is, what Sports Medicine Australia says is the general rule for rehabilitation, the timeline of the injuries themselves, the amount of time that he spent on court. We heard from, I mean, we put all the facts, Your Honour, on the table <laughs> and the speculation then flowed. So a little bit of both, Jody. but thank you for that. That's very, very clever on that one. Um, Matty Novak's biggest burden is the fact that he's just not loved by the fans, Roger and Rafa. So he would do whatever he can to gain the fans' love. I tell you, it's a hard audience. If you come here and you win this thing 10 times, 10 times, you never lose a semi-final or a final and you can't get the love of the fans. It's a tough audience, as tough as it's going to be. But he does it time and time again. We're going to break for the news. We'll talk basketball in our final hour and your texts and calls as well. There is a fair old heat and a fair old lineup on both uh, sides as we take a look at what's happening at Pipeline, the World Surf League. So live images coming in from Pipeline. It was a beautiful wave and a beautiful day. John John Florence and Gabrielle Medina are in this same heat. So you've got two absolutely tearing it up. And we're going to have a further discussion about this tomorrow, but we just saw the, um, the in-water commentator. So kind of like the sideline commentator for surfing is the dude on the board with a wetsuit and a microphone. I mean, is that the best gig? Is that the best job? What kind of job do you reckon could beat that? Sideline reporter in footy's awesome because you get to see it and smell it and hear it and feel it, but then it pours and <laughs> and it's pretty crappy and it's cold uh, and you don't know what's going to come your way. You're always thinking, like, I'd rather be in the commentary box. I'd rather be upstairs where the pies are. <clears throat> or... If you're out here at Pipeline, would you rather be up in the marquee uh, where the commentary's positioned, up on the stands, up the top, or do you want to be the dude that's out in the water reporting sideline, essentially? <laughs> here he is. He's on, the, he's on the screen now. So he's, he's quite literally paddled out there. 
he's got his boardies on, his wetsuit top. Um, he's got the inflatable backpack on because that's got the kit on it, waterproof. And he's just got the microphone. He's just he's just yakking away. I mean, that, folks, is a perfect commentary gig. How do you summarise that on a business card? How do you how do you tell people that that's your job? Can you put that into perspective for us on a business card? Have you got a business card ultimate job title in the world of sport? Because I, I don't know that guy's name, but whatever it is, I mean, hey, hey, mate, what do you do for a job? Oh, I sit on my surfboard and I talk about these guys surfing. You what? Yeah, yeah, at Pipeline. Huh? <laughs> what do you wear to work? My boardies. Oh, really? <laughs> and thongs, but I've got to take the thongs off because I've got to get in the water. <laughs> really? What are, the, what are the hazards? Well, sharks and some fairly sizable waves. Let's do that for the final hour and we can maybe see where that takes us tomorrow as well. Can you come up with the ultimate business card sporting commentary gig job? Because old mate out here at Pipeline is currently top of the tree. The one and only Guy Leach used to do that when we had the Uncle Toby Surf Series after his career. Leachy's job was to paddle out on a ski, which he's done a million times in his life. And we had a little camera and we gave him a microphone. That was his gig. I mean, he was in heaven out there. The toughest thing he ever had to do was come back in. Um, that was it. He didn't really we, – we just told him when we are starting, we told him when we were finishing. And that was it. 0457 736 736. <laughs> They're already coming. You guys are quick. I'll give you that. Very quick. Let's go to the open line. Uh, a more serious matter, the NRL's CBA situation with the Rugby League Players Association, still in limbo. Still thrashing it out. Don't know where it's going to end. James from Hornsby's on the line. Morning, James. Morning, Matty. Um, I'll jump in with another one with Djokovic. Just a quick one. I think it's like your fishing trip with your mates where you might get a little nibble, but by the time you get to the bar, you caught this bloody ah, um, big yeah. two-kilo, five-kilo snapper. Yeah. You know, So someone said, oh, you got a slight strain. Then the next one says, oh, it's a slight tear. Then the next one says it's a centimetre. And finally it gets out. You know, it's that big. So I think that's what's happened there. Mm. But with the CBA, I'm sure the NRL would know how much money they've got in the past and how much they spend on uh, running the game then for the salary cap and development and all that. Why don't they just work it out into a percentage? So they say, rightio, we've got the next TV rights deal coming up. Whatever it is, 40% of that goes to run the game. Yeah. 20% goes to salary cap, 10% to this, and then we'll, you know, you just cut it down and then you leave 10% as a splash fund for any emergencies like we had in COVID or something like that. And then if the, the following deal, if that 10% hasn't been used, that can then go into development or something else. Then they don't have to worry about it because they know, well, you're getting this percentage. Yeah, yeah I, I guess that's probably on the table. I, like I've said, I mean, we, we, we don't know. We only know what we know, which is the information that we can garner, and then the details are going to stay details on the table between those two parties. But it, it does raise a good point, operating those percentages, and then the numbers follow thereafter. I guess in this one, James, I, I guess, and listening to you makes total sense, but I guess in this one it, it appears to me that it's more around, for want of a better term, the terms and conditions of the employment of the of the players in this. That That seems to be where the where the real nitty-gritty comes down to. So the percentages and the numbers is a real good way to look at it, but it appears as though the stumbling block 
is around how those percentages and numbers get to the terms and conditions of what they want and what they're trying to achieve. So uh, I don't know where that ends. I, I don't know where that ends. But obviously, I mean, you, you've picked it up. Nothing really happens until you get a TV deal in place and you know what, you, what your finances are going to be for the next five years, if that's what the CBA is going to be for the next five years, huh? You do it like that and you're saying like terms and conditions like with the women's league, uh, the pregnancy or uh, medical treatment for past players. Well, they say, right, you go, 2% of that TV deal is kept aside for that. Mm. Now, that could be 2 million, it could be 5 million, but that money is kept aside for that. And let's just say, right, we want 2%, we want 1%. You know, like the unions, they all say, oh, we want a 3% pay rise. Well, what's that? Someone's on 80,000, someone's on 100,000, someone's on 90. They only get that percentage of their pay rise. So here, all they're doing is saying, if we get $500 million, you'll get 1% of that, which will be, oh, God, I'm not going to do the maths in my head now. But you know what I mean? Yeah. And then that's the side. And everyone can go, well, we've got an idea, because last deal, we got $5 million for our 1%. Yeah. Now, if the TV deal goes up to $600 million, oh, well, we'll get a bit more goes into that thing and we'll get a bit more. So, but they can always judge, right, you're on this. So if you're doing, say, um, a salary for a player, you say, right, yeah, on it, we've got the new deal coming up, the salary cap's going up, but judged on last one, we'll offer you this much, 500000 a year, but if it goes up 5%, we will then add on 5% to your 500000 do you know what, James? Better them than us, I reckon. <laughs> you make good sense, but gee, it's hard to it's hard to fathom how you work your way through that. Thank you for that, mate. I really appreciate that call and that take on it. One three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Uh, Maddie, the Novak tactic is from Michael is called transference. He was using the hamstring item to deflect attention away from the controversy of twenty twenty two. Another thread on forensic. Thursday, uh, which, by the way, says Paramat Forensic Thursday, fixed it. Done. Have we? Have we got to the bottom of it? I'm not sure. Um, Spud from Ashfield says, yeah, it's a great gig. So old mate sitting out there on his surfboard, it's a great gig until a 20-foot set comes out of the west and cleans you up. (laughs) Yeah, I'd be, I mean, I'd be worried about that, Spud, but I'd be worried about the 20-foot from underneath that Mick Fanning had to put up with. I don't think I want to be putting up with that. Although, you know, everything's out there, drones, all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it's a great gig. It's a great gig. Uh, Let's talk basketball right now. ESPN's basketball reporter, Kane Pittman, is on the line. G'day, Kane. How are we doing? Thanks for having me. No, thank you for your time. Final week, the NBL's regular season. So we've got eight teams still alive in the finals race. As we head in towards this back end of the season, what's your summary of how this season's played out on court? Uh, Chaos, I would say, is the best word to describe it. I must admit, early on in the season when it was looking really close and it looked like we had seven or eight teams that were going to compete for this play-in tournament, I was kind of sceptical. History generally suggests that the longer the season goes, there is some separation there. And I do think that part of the reason why it stays stays so close is that there's been some health stuff, there's been untimely injuries for some teams, New Zealand, for instance, went through their COVID uh, stuff in December and didn't play a lot of games. So I think there's been some reasons why it stayed so close. But ultimately, I do think it's a testament to the league and the talent and the, the quality of the imports that these teams are getting. So 
ultimately, I don't think the league could have predicted that it was going to be this close. But I'm sure they're absolutely thrilled that we're entering mm. the last weekend with so many different results on the line. Yeah, organised chaos. I mean, it's it's great, isn't it? <laughs> the, the league is so organised, but you're right. The actual the actual championship itself is is chaotic. So we've got the Kings, Taipans and Breakers, the only three teams locked into the finals. And then you look at the Jack Jumpers, Wildcats, Phoenix United and 36ers, playing for a spot. Do you see any surprises coming our way as we head to the finals about who may not be there and who sneaks in? I don't think that the top six is going to change. So the team that we're looking at is Melbourne United on the outside right now. I think there's some percentage stuff there that's going to make it difficult for them. And ultimately, they need the first Wildcats to lose twice in the last weekend at home. And it's interesting because the Sydney Kings, and I'm sure... Your listeners are fascinated to where they all sit in this picture, but uh, they play Friday night at home and then they have to travel to Perth. The question is, who are they going to send through that game, which could implicate the chances of the Perth Wildcats winning that game and ultimately locking in a play-in spot? We had Andrew Bogut on the jump last night on ESPN, and he seemed to think that they're going to send a pretty strong team over to Perth for that last game. Uh, So that will be fascinating. But I I think Perth is the team to watch. There's no doubt about that. And if you're a Melbourne United fan, you're desperately hoping that they lose both of these games uh, and then you get a chance to slide in. What about the Kings and their championship defence? What's impressed you most? I mean, it's very difficult, very, very difficult in any sport to try and go back to back. Yeah, they've been awesome. And, And I actually don't think they've got enough credit for the season that they've had because, as you pointed to, before the season, everyone knows the Kings are the team to beat. Last year was a little bit different. They had a really slow start and they were able to build throughout the season. But this year, really from round one, they've been on the top of the table. They've got a top two offense, a top two defense. And everyone thinks that the Kings, well, they've got a talented team. This is where they should be. But they lost their three imports. They lost the MVP of the league. And they've been able to replace those guys with different types of players, but while still maintaining, particularly the elite defense, obviously Xavier Cooks has gone to another level. So, yeah, part of me thinks they haven't got enough credit. I think they are by far the best team in the league. Now, that doesn't mean they're guaranteed to win the title, but I've got them clearly uh, above these other teams in the league. And last year we saw they didn't lose a game in the postseason. They go in in pretty good form this year as well, and they should feel like they are absolutely the favorites and the best team in it. Away from what's happening in the, in the championship chase, we've got... The Singapore Slingers, again, coming into the narrative here from the NBL. Larry Kesselman says, you know, it's probably time to have a good look at them and go global again. They were here before COVID, obviously, and they ended up withdrawing, not because of COVID, but because of the the flight costs, essentially, back and forth to Australia and New Zealand from Singapore. Do we need this kind of expansion? And if so, if we're going to step out of Asia, Australasia, I should say, Is that the destination to take it towards Singapore? It's interesting because I don't think it can be rushed. And I think that can be the the concern with something like this. Do you go straight to an expansion team overseas or do you go through the path of what Brian Gordon has suggested in the past of having this uh, East Asia Super League and potentially having this kind of FA Cup style teams from different countries go over and they play in a kind of a knockout round uh, tournament and then you build it from there and see whether there's enough interest in that market for an NBL team. They've also used Darwin for the preseason cup earlier this year and part of the reason for that is potentially an expansion team in Darwin but also the idea of Darwin being a hub to travel to Asia and different destinations like that. So uh, I'm not sure. I, I would believe or at least I, I think that if there's going to be an expansion team it's going to be in Australia first but I've got no doubt that Asia is the next 
market outside of Australia that, that they want to go to. And there's good reason for that. It's hugely popular, the sport, uh, in that region of the world. So I, I think it's fascinating, but I, I don't see it happening super quickly. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, Kane. I think when you look at expand, expansion, such a tricky thing, and it's mostly about timing. I mean, everyone wants to expand, but it's mostly about timing because if you look at what undoes expansion, it's quite often when you do it. And I think if you're going to go expansion in this league in particular, I'm thinking that you're right. Darwin is a perfect destination to go first because you don't have to go back too far to see that the Singapore Slingers just didn't work. And that was before the world got tipped upside down. So I I tend to agree with you on that one. So just a quick one. Overall at the moment, when you look at who's left, who's fighting for the finals, who do you think is the standout? Who's going to be there at the end knocking it down in the decider? I think the Sydney Kings and the New Zealand Breakers. And I think New Zealand, their fate is in their own hands. They've got to win the final two games this weekend. They can move up into second, which means you avoid the playing tournament. It's a really tough building to play in over there in New Zealand. They've been awesome all year. So I think the Kings are in. I think they're a great team on both ends of the floor. And I think over the course of the season, the Breakers have been right there with them. Good on you, Kane. Thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Kane Pittman there, ESPN's basketball reporter, the man across all hoops at ESPN. I saw LeBron James is edging in closer to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's uh, record when it comes to point scoring as well. So that's a and that's a big one. That's a huge total. We'll talk about Tom Brady making his way out of the NFL and the numbers that he's been putting down. Well, LeBron is 89 points away from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's uh, point scoring record in NBA history. I think he's now been in the league for 20 years, LeBron. 20 years. I mean, that's pretty crazy stuff. Guess what's arrived, Alex? Guess what's arrived in the studio, in our offices here? Again, Chargrill Charlies. There's a whole box of Chargrill Charlies and the wonderful waft of Chargrill Charlies is back in and therefore Tommy's gone missing. It's pretty easy. You look around, where's 2am Tommy? Guess what? Chargrill Charlies is back in the house which means that tomorrow our winner-winner chicken dinner segment from Chargrill Charlie's will focus on who will need a win the most across the weekend. And remember, this is, what, our second odd, second or third last weekend before footy starts? Yep. So we're looking at other sports. We're looking around the globe. We're looking at our backyard, perhaps NBL, something for us to focus on tomorrow. We'll focus on the food right now. And then we'll focus tomorrow on the actual segment of Char Grill Charlie's Winner Winner Chicken Dinner. But thanks to our mates at Char Grill Charlie's for, again, loading us up. And we're ready to hit it, which means we should probably just take a break and hit it. No, before that, before that, I, I want your thoughts around something that's just bubbled up about, you know, the ultimate business card, what you could put on there for a sporting gig and especially a commentary. Well, just a sporting gig. Could be a commentary gig. Um, this this dude out here, we need to get his name in the uh, World Surf League, has one heck of a job. And they're pretty big waves at Pipeline. It's getting a bit windy at the moment. But they're pretty big waves. I mean, he's just sitting off on the side and he's having a, a wow of a time. John says, voice of. If you've got that on a business card, you've won. Ooh, that's not bad. So do you reckon Phil Liggett's got voice of cycling? I mean, he'd have to, wouldn't he? Such a humble man. But... An absolute legend. Strider Wazlewski. Is that his name? No. Strider Wazlewski is the man in the surf.
Strider. And so if hang on, hang on. That's changed the game. Forget about what comes after that. I just put Strider because that's my name, right? Strider. Wow. He's got the name and he's got the gig. 0457 736 736. Uh, I'll be on Shark Island, says our texter here, during some uh, the Sale GP Sydney event, doing some live commentary. Awesome. Ticket to the island includes an open bar, so the punters are in a great mood. It's an awesome environment to be in. Well done to you. No name on that, but uh, I'll be looking forward to that. And you've got yourself a ripping gig out there. Um, put that on your business card. Eh? Lie on Shark Island, open bar. You need a big business card because you need to explain it. But that's a good one. And uh, congratulations to you. Right, let's take a break. Let's char grill Charlie's up. Thank you, Bulldog Bob, on the text line. Maddie. the best description of an occupation on a business card in inverted commas, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. So do you give that? I mean, if you're like an undercover agent, CIA, <laughs> uh, what about you don't know? need to know the details of my operation? That gets people thinking. Thank you for that, Bulldog Bob, 0457 736 736. Um, as we continue to pick away at the um, forensic Thursday issue today of Novak's hammy, wasn't the Joker doing no practice or training between each match? If this is true, why would you risk a major title and prize money by not doing any practice between matches just to give validation to a fallacy of a bung hammy? Yes, good question. And remember throughout the Open, like when it was sort of, you know, it was starting to bubble around, and we asked Brett Phillips about that. So this isn't something that we sort of sat around and made up in a, in a radio studio just to fill some content. This was something that was actually bubbling around. And he said there is a bit of talk there because there was talk around um, whether or not Novak was actually going to play. And then there was some weirdness in one of the early betting. In his first round match, there was some weirdness, remember that, in the betting. And some markets were suspended and the world went, whoa, hang on a second, Novak's going to pull out. So there was all sorts of stuff going around there. And this is this happens at tournaments, happens everywhere. But there was that weirdness. So the question was asked, and Brett Phillips confirmed, yeah, there are people around here who are talking about uh, maybe something's going on. I think it turned out that um, Roberto, his opponent, Cabellas Baena, uh, was so short <laughs> That they couldn't. He was 1.0005, I think, in the end to take on uh, Novak. So the betting was sort of suspended around that because they couldn't even get him to wink sods. Um, so I did pose the question I mean, if this is a ruse, if it's a sting, if it's the old, like you say, bung hammy trick, gee, it's a big gig to ask to pull off for two weeks in front of the world's glare. And you're right. Then you've got to go through with it. Well, I'm not practising. Um, I think the key for me was, and I'm not sure which one it was, but I think it was semi-final time perhaps. I, I reckon the key for me was when I heard uh, Jimmy Courier, who obviously knows his stuff and is on top of all that, talk about what he, what he knew about what Novak had been through, to your point from that text, no training, constantly up, full-blown rehabilitation, all of that kind of stuff. Um, how bad was the injury? We don't know. Three-centimetre tear, we're being told. Whether you believe that or not, from what I'm getting here and what I continue to get here, and believe me, I thought that Forensic Thursday was going to run out of puff pretty quickly. I thought we'd just get to the bottom of that once we knew the facts and we move on. But from what I'm reading here is based around your perception of Novak.
whether you like him or not. If you like him, you believe it. If you don't like him, you don't believe it. And the same could be said about so many athletes in so many sports. Thank you for that. Vanessa Jace on the text line says, G'day, Whitey. I like the classic response for a business card or when a job uh, description comes up. I can tell you what I do, but I'd have to kill you. Hmm. Yeah. Well, would you do that if you're Strider? Strider Weslowski? <laughs> I just can't get past Strider. I mean, where do you where do you wake up in the morning and go, I'm going to call my kid Strider? How do you know that he's going to end up in a professional sense on a surfboard, out at Pipeline, commentating with the kind of name like Strider? It all works together. I don't know. I don't know. Um, does he say that? I can tell you what I do, but I'd have to kill you. No, no, no. I just tell you what I do. I hang out with surfers on the world tour. Now, Tommy, normally it's two cents worth, but what I need from you okay. is a full-blown rundown of what you've just demolished from Char Grill well, Charlie. It's not finished yet. It's not yet. Yeah, so I had to. I actually had to come in here and do some work while my food just sitting in the producer's room. So you actually pulled me away from my um, early lunch. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Apologies. Um, what, no, did you, what did you go? Alex, what is, it's a bit of roast chicken, some wedges, and a nice, a beautiful Greek salad. So another shout-out to Chargrill Charlie's. Just wonderful, wonderful stuff. Thank you very much. There's a one close by, close near where I live in um, on Queen Street in Wallara. And yeah. every time I go in there, it is full to the brim. And yeah. they've got a board as well behind – so you order, and they've got a board full of all the celebrities that, that have been yeah. there. So Hugh Jackman, Russell Crowe, Nicole Kidman, Oprah, a lot of the Roosters players. Um, you're up there, I think. No, I'm kidding. Jimmy Smith. <laughs> but it's always chockers block. Do you remember the block. year that um, Justin Bieber went to the one at Mossman? Yes. Yeah. And there was about 30 teenage girls sent behind him. Well, yeah, yeah. So the, the local school, because my daughter was at that local school, half of them weren't there. They, as in at school. Yeah, they were following Justin oh, and his right. and entourage. The, and the social media stuff is outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. So so you've what you've got a bit to go. I'm a bit half I'm halfway done, yeah. Right. Yeah. You go salad first? Uh no, I've finished the wedges first. Yeah. So you went wedges wedges into chicken and then I'm mixing chicken salad, chicken salad. So I've kind You know you meant to go d- salad first. Why is that? Sort of sets the scene for what your body's Oh right, right? yeah, yeah. So physiologically but I've also dressed the um, the chicken in about three different sauces, so it's going well. Okay. Yeah. All right, Alex, uh, you got anything to offer? You, it's no, hard no, to talk. No. Um, hard to talk while you're eating. The wedges, uh, I went the same order as Tommy. Actually, the wedges have gone down a lot of sauce on the on the chicken yeah. because the Chargrill Charlie's difference is the level. And quantity of the sources that they offer. Yes. And um, we've got a selection <laughs> to in you today. Hey, can silly. I, Matty, so Alex is our, as our football man, he's our football expert, and he yeah. proved that wonders for the FIFA World Cup. But he's also, as you mentioned yesterday, he's a tennis expert too. So yeah. for your view, heard my view about Novak. Yes. Hey, man, what's your view on <laughs> the three-centimetre hamstring tear? Look, I'm not going to cast judgment on Djokovic's honesty. I will say it's um, a marked coincidence that his last two titles here, he's played through two of the worst injuries that we've seen in Australia. The odds on that are very, very low. And the fact that he's done that is, well, all power to him. Oh, jeez. Mate, that, that Chargrill Charlie's, Char-Grill Charlie's has just left you right in the fence there. You've, you've just been put into a food coma. Normally you come out swinging. So give, give the man wedges and just... Just watch him calm down. So hang on, just I just need to get so you went wedges, salad, chicken? 
Yes. Right. You went wedges, chicken. Well, it's chicken salad. It's, it's, they've gone at the same time. Uh, okay. All right. Well, we've covered that one off. <laughs> uh, returning segment this week, Matty. Um, yes. I throw some statements out. You've got to say whether it's a Unders over- and overs. Yeah, overreaction or not. Yep. So first one. Here we go. Novak, Novak Djokovic. <laughs> His 10th Australian Open, the 2023 Australian Open, is the greatest achievement of his career. So it's the 10th time yep. that he won the Oz Open, um, two years removed from playing in Melbourne. We know all the controversy that happened last year. And now it is reported that he had a three-centimeter hamstring tear. Now, so I'll pose that to you, then we can have a little debate. Is that the greatest achievement so far of his tennis career? According to Novak, it is. He said that, right, after he won for a whole stack of reasons and probably reasons that he, you know, uh, more of this information will start to come out. Yes. So on that on that factor, I'd have to say it's it's not an over. Not an overreaction? It's not an overreaction. It's, it's not an overreaction at all. However... I think in the scheme of things, because you mentioned this before, they're playing against their legacy now, these mm-hmm. guys. And I, and I said this during the Open. He's now playing against the history books. Yes. Right? There are opposition players. Yes, I'm not taking away that away. But essentially, he's playing against numbers now. So I think it's the biggest win of his life, the way that he's done it, what he's achieved, the fact that he's put him up into Rafa's now rarefied air mm-hmm. as well. But I think the real biggest achievement is still to come. Yes. When he breaks through and he ends up on top of that list because I, I just don't – I know that nobody's going to catch him. How, when and how that happens, I'm not sure. So I think the real biggest one is still to come. But at the moment, in the scheme of things and the way that he delivered it, and especially after last year, don't, I, I, I think that people with the focus on the hamstring have forgotten how much of an impact – that would have on yeah, somebody. Mentally, it would have been a massive time. Everything. So, yeah, I, I don't think that's an overreaction at all. A 30, 30 is – I said that on Monday, but, like, it does seem unlikely. That's eight more majors. That's such a huge task. 25 is just a nice round number. Yeah. I don't I don't know if Rafa's got another three in him. I don't think so. So 25 is a nice round number. You're, you're five removed from Federer, and if Rafa doesn't win another one, you'd be three removed from him. Yeah. So I think he can get more. I think he can get to that 30 range, maybe, if he can – if he can qualify for the U.S., if he's allowed at the U.S., um, that's going to be a big task. And he could win at the French if, if Rafa is no longer playing. He's won there twice. Yeah. Um, my next one. Yes. Now, this is with the Bulldogs. So you and Joel Kane, very, very bullish on the Bulldogs yes. 2023 season. So I'll just put it out there right now. The Bulldogs will make the top eight in 2023. Is that an overreaction? No, not an overreaction. So I'm, I'm gonna, I haven't done my top eight finally yet. Neither. I, I'm waiting for the CBA to be done. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, maybe we do that tomorrow. Our top eights? No, our CBA. What needs to be in our CBA? Oh, I like that. In yeah. The morning show CBA. Yeah. Or on the SEN CBA. Well, on ours. Okay. Right? Yeah. We've got Matty Johns coming on board next week. We've got Webby. Monday, we've got Webby. We probably need a bit of a CBA to make sure. The listeners' interaction. I mean, clearly your part of the CBA has already taken place without the With document the being Charlie's. signed. Correct. Yes. Right. Um, so... Park the, put that in your little black book. Done. Uh, what was it? No, Bulldogs. Into I think the, I think the doggies are, are, are set for the top eight. I don't know. I, I haven't done the. He's got a vibe. I haven't done the facts and figures to determine who's going to miss out mm-hmm. because for them to get in, somebody essentially has to go out. 
but I think they're a big, big chance of being top eight contenders this year. So I don't think that's an overreaction at all. Do you? Um, I do think it's a little bit overreaction, and I'll give my reasons why. I think they've got a very serviceable forward pack. Uh, Viliami Kikau, Reid Marnie are two massive additions in the coaches' poll. They agreed that they were the two best signings of the year. Add that to the guys they already have there in Luke Thompson, Tevita Pengai Jr., Raymond Fatala Mariner, um, young guys like Max King, Jackson Topine. So, yeah, there is some, there is a lot of the promise there in the forwards. Um, Matt Burden, superstar. Like, he's the guy. They are investing five years in him. I don't really know if five years is a, bit, is a good deal, but whatever. They've agreed to, to sign that. So he's the guy moving forward. Um, the thing that worries me is their back line. So Burden, Adokar, superstars. Superstars in their own right. But then you've got a guy like, and a lot of critics have put the burden in the last few years, but Kyle Flanagan. You, you, you ride or die with your halfback. You ride or die with your seven, and there's so many good halfbacks in the league, so it's tough. Um, and then you've got a fullback, and by all reports, a guy by the name of Hayes Perham is going to be playing fullback for the Dogs come round one. So they've decided to go Cameron Serrato, first-year coach, has decided to go with Hayes Perham over a guy like Jake Avarillo, who I thought was really – um, he was above average last year when he moved back back into to his natural fullback position. So that's half of your spine where I've got I've got major questions about Hayes Perham, who hasn't played a lot of NRL football, and Kyle Flanagan, who I think we've seen enough to to be to be a good judge on him and say I don't know if he can crack it. I don't know if he can be a guy to lead you to the finals or play an integral role um, in helping you win a premiership. Go back to 2020, he was in that Rooster system. He got dropped right before the finals. Was brought in for a couple of games, but um, they kicked him after a year. Whether it was right or wrong, they made the decision. He's now at the Bulldogs. And then you've got an inexperienced and young um, uh, centers and wingers. So you've got a guy like Jacob Carraz, who was fantastic in his debut year. Bulldogs favorite, Bulldogs junior. Still inexperienced. You've got a guy like Paul Alamotti, who's tipped to make his debut at center this year. Great raps on him but still 18. And you've got a guy like Braden Burns who's been in and around, in and out of first grade the last five or six years. So there's yep. there are the question marks I've got over the Bulldogs. And I reckon they're all fair. Maybe in 2025, especially when they get a guy like 25. Bronson. Uh, 2024, sorry, I'm going to 2025. 2024, they'll get Bronson Cherry as well that year. Maybe they might get a guy like Mitch Moses. Who knows? But I think they'll be in the 9th to 12th, maybe 9th to 11th range. Okay. I, I'm, I'm looking for for a top eight performance from them. And just on Kyle Flanagan, who's going to be a key focus on that. Yes. You know, we always say that players in the NRL really don't hit their straps until they've played 50 games, right? And then from 50 games onwards is where you kind of belong to be at that at that level, which is interesting given that the average player plays 40 games, I think, over the course of their career. He's just gone past that. Yeah. He's essentially a 60-game player, 62-game player. The two words for me that will make a huge difference this year and perhaps answer those questions about Kyle Flanning, Cameron Serraldo. I can't go past it, mate. Mm -hmm. Cameron Serraldo, and you said first-year coach? Yes, kind of. Cameron Serraldo kind of, yes. is going to be massive, massive. So let's wait and see. Uh, so, no, I, I don't think it's an overreaction, and I've got him inside the eight. So we go – it's usually two to three teams that drop out. It's yes. going to be very, very interesting to see which which of those teams drop out because um, I'm, I mentioned this last year. Panthers dropped back to the pack a little bit. Not a lot. They're still the deserved favorites. They lost Kikiao, um, and they lost Coruscant, who's so important to that team. Roosters get a little bit better with Brandon Smith. Um, I think Broncos get better. Rabbitohs stay the same. They're going to be there and thereabouts. 
Sharks, it's going to be interesting to see how they, they go. Same with the Cowboys. Um, it's going to be very, very interesting. But I think if I had to just say it right now, just off the tip of my tongue, I think maybe the Raiders drop back. Yep. And possibly, this might sound outlandish, but the blue and gold Parramatta Eels, maybe. I haven't confirmed the top eight yet, but yep. just not feeling it from quite fourth, yet. From fourth. Yeah, and, and fourth to grand finals. Grand finals. Grand finals. Well, Hey, they came top four in 2017, and then 2018, what happened? Wooden Spooners. Mm. Anything can happen with the Parramatta Eels. Let's not put it past them. It's that window, isn't it? So many windows around. They're hard to – they're all open, by the way. It's Just work, some, it's are more, <laughs> some are more open than others, Manny. It's working out when they're going to shut. Those damn windows. Back after this. Uh, Jimmy Smith is coming up with the afternoon show. Hello, James. Hello, Matthew. How are you? By the way, thank you for pre-promoting the uh, injury Yes. You know, return from injury on the back of Tommy T. Uh, so you know that one, you know, there's a golfer and yes. there's an AFL. About 12.03. So, <laughs> so oh, it's Ben Hogan and oh, Jason darn. McCartney. I'm like, oh, oh okay. where do we go to? But here's the thing. We had a caller Greg rings up. He's a big football fan. He told me about, about Bert Troutman. Bert Troutman. Ever heard of him? No. Okay. So fought on, fought on the Eastern Front, fought on the Western Front in the Second World War captured, prisoner of war in Lancashire, got out of that, thought he'd stick around, ended up playing for St. Helens, goalkeeper, then played over 500 games for Manchester City and famously came back from a broken, or didn't come back, he played with a broken neck in an FA Cup final, making some incredible saves along with, then came back and played another 200 games for Man City after that. And phenomenal story. Wow. Yeah, married the manager's daughter apparently, so stuck around here in England. Just, and, and it was like, you think you know? You think, oh, I'm across sort of these things? No, nah. no. Nah. Great nah. movie yeah. about that, Jim. The Keeper. Yes, 2018. Right. Very, okay. very good. Okay. Oh, good. I'm going to get that one on. Yeah. Um, ben Hogan. Wow. What? What a story. What an absolute story. On that, there's a great book called The Match. Okay. And it's the match that they had at Cypress Point, and it was Ben Hogan and Byron Nelson against the two leading amateurs of the time. Wow. Kenny Venturi was one of them. Harvey Ward was the other. So. It's an extraordinary tale of this one match. They reckon it's the greatest match of golf ever played. Okay. Yeah, match. Uh, the match. Yeah, yeah. The, the match. Um, and then there was the other guy, Rocky Blyer. Uh, and I'm like, oh, okay. They just And someone just sent it in, didn't leave their name, just said, oh, Rocky Blyer. And I think he won a Super Bowl. Uh, he was. Uh, he got a purple cross. Oh. Uh, purple heart, is purple it? Heart, uh, yeah. yeah, dived across a grenade, um, took some shrapnel in the leg and all that. Then came back and played for the legendary Pittsburgh Steelers, the Steel Curtain. Just won the four Super Bowls. Oh, just the four? Rocky, yeah. Yeah. Like, just incredible stories. Mm. Um, now, so, have you... Have so, you, today's uh, going to be as boring as Batchy. <laughs> <laughs> have you been across Forensic Thursday? Oh, yeah. Hey? I'm out, yeah. Forensic, I'm, I, I got all deep in Forensic. We I did, know. We did timelines. We I did like everything. It. And as, it, as Jaleesa Apps would say, she's on the program today, bit of journalism. Bit from of journalism. <laughs> I was in full journalism mode this morning. Um... But the funny thing is that you bust it down for it. I mean, I had I had my Cairo going. I is that all, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, I had all sorts nice. of information going, right? Yes. And you bust it down forensically and you put mm. it there. I mean, it was in a spreadsheet sort of a scenario, it was yes. rock solid. Makes no difference because it doesn't matter if you got to the very end. There's a definitive highlighted in bold 50-point yes. The people who don't like Novak just say no. I was going to say, <laughs> if, if you change the name from Novak Djokovic <laughs> to Roger Federer, 
Oh, that's uh, it's a yes every day. Exactly. You go, what courage he showed throughout the course of the tournament. <laughs> to be able to defy that, well, only Roger could do that. You've just hit on something. So next time I do Forensic Thursday, which yeah. might be Forensic Tuesday, I'm going to remove the name. The name. Yes. So I'm going to say that there was um, beep, had a three-centimetre tear. Yes. And then lay out all yep. the facts. That's a really good one. Because we're blinded by yeah. prejudgments. Especially with Roger. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Rafa. Yeah. Okay, what's coming up? And the afternoons program. A lot of people prejudge <laughs> that, but they shouldn't. By they shouldn't. They shouldn't. Blinded by Jimmy. <laughs> Jaleesa Apps, RJ Ochoa talking football. He's disappointed about his Cowboys. Pete Neville, he was in that first Sixers side that won the comp. We'll have a throwback Thursday. And Sid Punts from Full Credit to the Boys podcast has done Rugby League Chronicles. We'll have a chat to him about that. Have a good show. Thanks, Matty. We are at the checkered flag, so make sure you stay tuned. Jimmy Smith will keep you pumping for the next three hours right here on SEN and a whole stack of talk topics coming your way. So dive in early. If you want the chance to have your say early, dive in right now for Jimmy because, believe me, we just switch them all over. He'll see. He sees them coming in. 0457 736 736 is that text line number. Now, tomorrow, it's actually our final Friday show um, before Matty Johns comes back for Morning Glory, and Matty and I will be doing a special show every Monday morning now off the back of footy season, but we're going to build our own CBA, (laughs) our own (laughs) collective bargaining agreement from here. What we want, what you want, what you want from us, let's piece it all together tomorrow. So make sure you tune in tomorrow morning from 9 o'clock. We'll do it all again then, folks. Have a great day. Thanks for your company and bye for now.